0: Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's Sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well if you're joining us from home, I just quickly looked on our YouTube and Facebook feed and saw there was quite a few of you watching from home. so welcome. Thank you for joining us uh, from home online. That's fantastic. Uh, So those of you that are at home are missing out on a special treat. And uh, here's the special treat. We have Mel and Joan Sylvester Nee Foster in here today. So for people who may not know, Mel and Joan are like saints for this church. Though we don't do sainthood stuff, uh, but they have just been such a blessing. And you know what's been the biggest blessing for me? So, So Mel and Joan have been around for quite a while. Mel was the first president of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada, which is amazing. And Joan has served for, is it 38 years? 39 years over in Africa as a missionary. And so we're just so fantastic to have both of you here. But I think the thing that I am so appreciative of for you two is every time that I would see you, which was usually a couple times a year because you guys are living down in Calgary now, but a few times a year I'd see you maybe at prayer retreat or something else like that. And every time you would, you would make it a point to get together with me and the other staff from Beaver Lodge Alliance and remind us that you pray for us daily. So thank you for doing that. We really appreciate it. So why don't we just thank them again? So thankful to have you here. So thankful to have you here. Well, today is a good day, isn't it? Today is such a good day. God is a very good God, and he's doing amazing, amazing things in our world. Well, today we are talking about John the Apostle. Do you know John the Apostle? Well, scholars believe that John the Apostle would have begun following Jesus between the ages of 13 and 16. Isn't that amazing? Does any, any, do we have any, I don't think we have any 13-year-olds here. We have a 14-year-old. Might be the, uh, Alex, how old are you, Alex? Back in the sound booth. You're 14? Okay, so we've got some people around that same age. So imagine Rachel and Alex, that age of a person beginning to follow Jesus. Doesn't that sound astounding? That sounds crazy to, to know that John the Apostle was possibly around Alex and Rachel's age when you first began following Jesus do you remember what it was like to be a teenager now some of you are closer to being a teenager than than the other but some of us are really far away from that it was 30 years ago or so that i was a teenager i remember being excited about the world i remember the world seemed simple at that time there wasn't a whole lot of difficulty as far as i remember i remember starting to get some freedom My mom would say I could stay out as late as uh, until the lights, the street lights came on, which in Florida was like at 7 p.m., so it wasn't very late. Around here, I mean, in the summertime, kids would never come home. It'd be crazy. I remember 13 was the age that I began to to grow into becoming a young man. And I got to some responsibilities and began to do some things. But I also remember that 13 was, uh, was an age of being wide-eyed and, and starry-eyed and, and amazed at the world around me. And back in Jesus' day, 13 wasn't a whole lot different than it is today. I mean, there were some differences, obviously. It, in that age, I mean, you could be getting married by 14, 15, 16 years old pretty quickly. You were probably getting into your father's occupation at 13 years old. But still, there would have been that That small in stature but tall in hopes type of a position. The the dreaming would have still been there at 13 years old. John the Apostle at 13 would have been wide-eyed and stared out at the world as an amazing thing. Jesus called John and his older brother James sons of thunder. What a good nickname for a teenage boy. What teenage boy wouldn't love to be called a son of thunder? I imagine John would have been quite enthralled at Jesus. I remember being enthralled with my older cousins when they did older cousin-type things. Maybe when they drove their vehicle or maybe when they they could stay up later than I could. I I remember being enthralled at all the big kid stuff they did. And here was young teenage boy John getting to follow an amazing teacher, one who could walk on water. How amazing that day would have been, hey? Hey. As John looked out over the the water and would have seen Jesus walking on water. Oh, that would have been cool. To see Jesus heal the sick, to raise the dead from life. Uh, Raise the the, the dead to life. To raise the dead to life. Jesus, the one who, who made a whip and drove out those people in the temple that were selling things. That would have been amazing. Hey, John, a teenage boy watching Jesus do that. The one who called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs to their faces. Oh, that would have been cool. The one who who delivered the man, the demoniac, delivered the man from all his demons. That would have been amazing. But the, the best thing probably for a teenage boy would have been to see Jesus drive those demons into a herd of pigs and then watch those pigs run off a cliff into the ocean. As a teenage boy, I would have been like, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? John got to see Jesus do these amazing things, to spit on the ground, make a little mud cake, and slap it in the face of a blind man. I mean, I'm sure John would have been going, what's going on? What's happening here? So much about Jesus would have been so cool for a teenage boy. So imagine little John, teenager, son of thunder, enthralled by Jesus. You know, when Matthew wrote his gospel, uh, you can read the, the gospel of Matthew and there's a lot of genealogies and, and prophecy fulfillment in there. There's a lot of logistics and analytics and, and, and Matthew often says it was at this hour that this thing happened and at this hour that this thing happened. And it kind of goes through very detail oriented. It's a fantastic gospel, but John's gospel is quite different from Matthew's. John's gospel is very earthy, very fleshy. It paints a picture of Jesus in his humanity that's just remarkable. It's incredibly personable and incredibly human. And it seems to be written by a dreamer. And so it makes sense, of course, right? Because we have John the Apostle who watched Jesus do what Jesus did through the eyes of a wide-eyed teenage boy. Now, John likely didn't write his books until much later in life. Scholars seem to agree that that the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation were some of the last books of the Bible written, somewhere between 80 and 100 AD, so quite a bit later than when Jesus was around. So here's what happens. Little teenage boy John follows Jesus around for three years, sees these amazing, remarkable things happen, sees Jesus die on the cross He gets to participate in all these amazing adventures and he gets to be there at the very end. John, likely the only apostle that stayed at the cross. Can you imagine that? I mean, at that point, maybe 16, 17 years old, being the only one to stay at the cross. John then goes into the world declaring the good news of Jesus Christ planting and pastoring churches. And then probably about 60 or so years later, John is arrested and sent to the prison island of Patmos for declaring that Jesus alone is Lord. And it was from this place, the Isle of Patmos, that that scholars believe that John wrote most of his books. And as John looks back all those years ago, 60 years in the past, and writes about Jesus... There is a solid and recurring characteristic that comes out of all of John's writings. You you could not miss it if you tried. John looks at Jesus and he can't help but focus in on this one characteristic over and over and over again. And that characteristic is the love of Jesus. Over and over again, John speaks about the love of Jesus. Now, today we're looking specifically at 2nd and 3rd John, two of the smallest books of the New Testament, hardly take up half a page in your Bible. They're letters that are written by John to the churches. But we're also going to be looking at the Gospel of John, and we're going to look a little bit at 1 John as well. But if you remember back this, earlier this summer, Carrie LaRock preached on June 27th. She preached a fantastic sermon on 1 John. So I encourage you, it's on our website. You can go back and watch it later. But in that sermon, Carrie gave us some great insights on how we can love God, how we can love each other, and how we can even love ourselves well. She keyed in on loving people who are difficult to love. Now, here's just a fun thing. Everybody likely has difficult people in their their life, right? We have difficult people that are around us. And if you look around your world and you see no difficult people, you might be the difficult person. So, but Carrie was talking to us about how John calls us to love each other, even those, maybe especially those who are difficult to love. Carrie showed us through 1 John how we are encouraged to love others because God first loved us. And if you were listening or if you've watched the sermon, um, there was a fantastic illustration at the end of the message about her son, her little Henry, who I, I think—does anybody know how old Henry is? He's quite young. He's three. Okay, so Henry is three. And the the illustration is this. He gets up in the morning and he says, I'm starving, I'm starving. I need something to eat. And Carrie will get him some breakfast to eat. And whatever she gives him, doesn't matter. Whatever she gives him, he says, this is the favorite thing that I've ever wanted. No matter what she feeds him, he says, this is the favorite thing that I've ever wanted, which led Carrie to remind us all that this is exactly how Jesus sees us. Every single one of you, you are the favorite thing that Jesus ever wanted. This love that Carrie spoke about from 1 John is the same love that John speaks about in all of his writings, and it's the theme that shows up again and again, and it shows up really well in 1 John chapter 4. Here's what John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as, a to- as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And of course, back in the Gospel of John, we see this love theme happening again and, and again. But there's two standout verses that really speak the love of God. And of course, the, the famous verse, John chapter 3, verse 16, really lays out for us this whole idea of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then, of course, Jesus gives a new commandment to his disciples. And it's a commandment based on this John three sixteen passage. Here's the commandment in John chapter 15. Jesus says this. He says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That sacrificial love that love that went even to the extent of going to the cross. Imagine teenage John. Teenage John watching Jesus. Love. And not just in his words. I mean, Jesus taught about love all the time, but not just in his words, but in his actions. Where he would reach out to the leper and touch the leper when the leper should never have been touched. That he would, he would allow the, the, the woman to wash his feet, who everyone in the room knew she was a woman of ill repute, and yet he loved her and saw her. The one who saw people and loved them. This had such an impact on John that, that he didn't even put his own name in his gospel, You guys know this. The the gospel of John never says this is the gospel of John or this was written from John. John instead chooses to simply call himself the one whom Jesus loved. Isn't that so good? He understood. Walking with Jesus for three years, I I imagine John not just watching the teachings of Jesus, not just seeing Jesus interact with other people, But we see in the Gospel of John several times where John just cuddled into Jesus. Knowing that he was loved. Knowing that he was loved. The message from Jesus, love each other as I have loved you, settled into John's soul. And guided him all the years of his ministry. 60 years or more of ministry. And now he writes these books still filled with the love of Jesus. Earlier, I asked you to imagine John as this teenage boy enthralled by Jesus. Now I want you to imagine him as an 80-year-old man, a pastor, a great-grandfather, somebody like, like Mel Sylvester. To recognize John in the later years of his life, sitting down to write these books. Now I said earlier, John is likely writing these books from the prison island of Patmos. And the gospel of John is written as a record of who Jesus is and what he had done. So that was one of the books John wrote was the gospel of John. It's a record of who Jesus is and what he had done. John also wrote the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was written as a record of what Jesus was prophetically revealing to John and to us about what was to come. So the gospel of John was a book that was looking back. Here's what I saw when I was a teenage boy. Here's what Jesus did, and here's who Jesus is. And then the the revelation of Jesus Christ was a look forward. Here's what Jesus is going to do. Here's what's going to happen. Jesus laid out this prophetic thing of what was going to come. Now, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, however, was not a look back or a look forward. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are letters written about what was happening right now. Then. And what was happening in John's present circumstance is that the church was under attack. Now, John describes the church's attackers as false prophets, deceivers, antichrists, strong words. And the attack seemed to come down to these two connected issues, which John speaks about several times in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Here's what John says are the two problems. The first point of attack, out of first John chapter two, verse 22, is this. It's attack from, from this group. It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So the first attack is a denial that Jesus is the Christ. The second attack is connected to it, but it's like the other side of the coin. It's in 2 John chapter 7. The second attack is coming from those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Okay, so here's what's likely happening. There are likely two groups, two different groups, that John calls the false prophets, the deceivers, and the antichrists. The first group is likely a group of Jewish converts who deny the divinity of Jesus. Now, you guys know that Jesus Christ, the Christ part of Jesus Christ, it's not his last name. His dad wasn't named—what's his dad's name? Earthly dad? (laughs) Joseph. His dad wasn't named Joseph Christ, right? It's not like the family name, okay? The word Christ in Jesus Christ was something much bigger than that. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people were told by God to expect a deliverer. The Messiah who would come from God and would save Israel and lead them. This Messiah had many prophecies declared about him, and Jesus came and fulfilled those prophecies. He is the Messiah. Now, the, the term Messiah is a Hebraic term. It comes from the Hebrew language. In the Greek language, that term is Christ. Jesus is the Christ the one who would come, the one who is the Savior, the one who would lead and guide and empower and strengthen, the Christ. That's how we get Jesus the Christ. The Christ part of Jesus' name is not his last name. It's his title. It's a pointer towards his divinity and his calling. We know that Jesus the Christ is divine, the only Son of God, God himself. This is a a major theme throughout all of the New Testament, especially so in John's writing. Just look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Here's how John opens his gospel, not with a genealogy or none of those things. Here's how he opens his gospel. He says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. We skip down a few verses. John continues, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then if we need to know who this person is, John tells us. He says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John overemphasizes that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is God himself with God in the beginning. Everything that exists was made through Jesus, and then Jesus came to us in the flesh. God divine in a body. So the first attack that is coming against the church at this time is likely from Jewish converts who deny Jesus as the Christ. They deny that, that Jesus is God's only son, God himself. And John, of course, writes his letters to remind us that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, God divine. But only, not only God divine. You see, the second attack is, is very closely linked to this first attack. The second attack is likely from a different group, not, not Jewish converts now, but pagan converts, who are attacking from the other side. And some of these pagan converts are denying that Jesus came in the flesh. So not that Jesus was God. They fully believed, yes, we believe Jesus is God, but we can't accept that he came in the flesh. Now now imagine the two different difficulties, right? For the Jewish converts, they've been taught since they were children, there's only one God. So how can there be another, how can Jesus also be God? Because then there'd be two gods. That can't be possible. So they're grappling with that struggle. But the pagan converts fully believed that gods came down to visit man all the time. All the different gods of of Olympia and all the different gods in, in Greek and Roman background, they would always come down and visit mankind, but they were not flesh. Nobody would confuse that. Zeus or or any of these other gods that came down, they were always just God pretending to be man. So, So the pagans could not believe that Jesus, God, would ever be man, flesh. So these pagan converts were having difficulty with Jesus as divine. We see in the Gospel of John this deep, fleshiness of Jesus. Yes, John points out that this is God. With The Word was with God and was God. He opens up his gospel that way, but then through the rest of the gospel of John, we see this intense fleshiness of Jesus. We see Jesus get tired, Jesus being thirsty, Jesus being hungry, Jesus being sad. We see Jesus breathing on his disciples to give them the Holy Spirit. Jesus invites Thomas after after his resurrection. He invites Thomas, come, stick your hand in my side so that you will know that I'm really here. Flesh. The fleshiness of Jesus is on display in the Gospel of John. No one who reads that Gospel would be confused that, that, yes, Jesus is divine, But Jesus is also very much man. And that, of course, is one of the greatest mysteries. That Jesus can be both fully God and fully man. It's a great mystery, but it's true. The church in John's present time, in that time, is contending with attacks from both of these two sides. Attacks against Jesus' divinity and attacks against Jesus' humanity so, John, in part, writes his letter as a response to these attacked, attacks, concluding that the great test, the great test to test the spirits, to test the spirits of those that would come and speak to you, is this test in 1 John chapter 4. John says this This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Those two things together. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Christ divine, has also come in the flesh. That is the truth. That's how you can test whether the person speaking to you or not is speaking from God. If he's speaking with the Spirit of God is if he acknowledges that Jesus the Christ has come in the flesh. But even in addressing these two attacks— as much as John is, is, is laying this out there, grandfather John speaking to the churches and to the great grandchildren that he has in Christ, as even as he's speaking to them about these two attacks, he never leaves his core message. The command he received from Jesus, which he passes on as often as he possibly can love one another. You see this message of love again. And again and again, to the point where almost as you're reading, you kind of get annoyed at it. John, why are you talking about love so much? In first John, we have this amazing treatise with many highlights and lessons and and this wonderful book that we get so much from, and it is surrounded and, and, and it is anointed, and it is it is almost just soaked in the message love one another. The second and third John, again, very short books, but goodness gracious, John says it again and again, love one another, love one another, love one another, almost as if he is just on replay. Second John is written uh, to this group of people. In the beginning of second John, it just says that this book is written to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth. Now, likely, this is a play on words, and John is saying uh, that this book, many scholars believe that John is writing this book to the church, the chosen lady, the church, and her children, the members of the church. The third John is written not to a group anymore, but third John is written to my dear friend Gaius, Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And Gaius was likely uh, one of the members of one of John's churches, but likely not the leader of the church. The leader of the church, it seems like John is having some difficulty with. The leader of the church is not respecting or listening to John. In fact, the leader of the church is speaking poorly against John. Both of these letters, while again overemphasizing the command to love one another, also address the current attack on the church. Second John uh, focuses on one side of it. Second John focuses on uh, reminding the people that there are these deceivers, these antichrists that are out and about trying to get you, that are trying to pull you away from the truth that Jesus is divine and that he's human. And you need to be aware of these. Don't allow these deceivers to come, into, to, to come and teach. Don't, don't host them in your homes. Be careful of those who come who are deceivers and antichrists. Now, third John is the other side of things. Because I don't know if these two letters were written uh, separately from each other, and maybe John heard some feedback in between, or maybe he just wrote one after another, realizing I need to make sure to speak on the other side. Because he, he warns them on, in 2 John, he warns them against um, entertaining those who are speaking a false gospel. In Third John he says, but, but don't just kick out everybody. You need to host those people who are preaching the proper gospel, who are preaching about the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. You need to host those people. He says, there are brothers. John says this, there are brothers that have come back to me who have told me of your amazing love. And he's talking to Gaius. You've told me about your amazing love. Continue to host these brothers cuz they're going to teach you the truth and it seems like what was happening in the church at that time in third john is that they were rejecting many of the true preachers so on one hand they need to reject the false preachers but they need to accept the true preachers and that's what the stories of second and third john are that's what the letters from john second and third john are speaking to reject those who are bringing the false gospel And bring in and welcome and honor those that are bringing the true gospel. And in both of those books, again, they are bathed in this command. Love one another. So you can see how John's books build on each other. I don't know if he sat down at one time and wrote all of them in one sequential time. But you can see how they all build upon each other. The gospel of John emphasizing the divinity and the humanity of Jesus, while establishing the foundation of the commandment that Jesus says, "My command is this: love each other as I have loved you." And then first, John, which begins uh, the response to the churches in this difficult time when these attacks are coming, the beginning of the response, "Be wary of any that would come to you with a different gospel. Test the spirits. Any that say that, that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, they are not from God, don't listen to them. And of course, John again emphasizes the foundation in first John. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And finally, John finishes up second and third John with a very with very practical warnings to not entertain those who would deny that Jesus the Christ has come in the flesh. But to still be hospitable to true brothers who come preaching the true gospel of Jesus, his humanity, and his deity. All the while reminding the people again and again, love one another. John, the great-grandfather, writing to his spiritual great-grandchildren, reminding them to love one another. A lesson he learned as he sat wide-eyed and enthralled by Jesus, just a teenager who walked with a very divine and the very human Jesus, who summed it all up by saying, love one another. In 1965, Jackie DeShannon recorded the pop hit, What the World Needs Now is Love. Now, I don't know if you know this song, but as I was writing this sermon, I just kept singing it. I'm not going to sing it for you today. But here's the words. I know, it's a sad thing. But here's the words. The chorus goes like this. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, No, not just for some, but for everyone. Now, I don't know if this is a prayer, but listen to how the, the lines go. Lord... We don't need another mountain. There are mountains and and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of time. Lord, we don't need another meadow. There are cornfields and wheat fields enough to grow. There are sunbeams and moonbeams enough to shine. Oh, listen, Lord, if you want to know, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, No, not just for some, oh, but just for every, every, everyone. Lord Jesus, we need more love. We need people who are called by his name, who are loving one another. Jesus commanded us to love one another. How are you doing on that? Jesus also said this was how the world would know that we are his disciples that we love one another. Not that, not that our theology is right, not that our churches are big, not that our music is great, not that our preaching is on point, but the world would know that we are his disciples, that we love one another. How are we doing on that? The ancient writer Jerome of Striden, who wrote in the mid 300s AD, told a story about the end of John's life. It may be true, it may not be true, but it's a good story nonetheless. Being so young when Jesus was on earth and living such a long life into his 80s or 90s, John would have likely been one of the last people alive to have seen Jesus alive and certainly was the last apostle alive. And the story Jerome tells is that at the end of his life, John would be gathered up regularly when it was time for church Someone would go to John's house and gather him up, just kind of a bag of bones at that point, not much to him, would have carried him to church services, would have brought him up in front of the church to be able to preach, and he was weak, and his voice was quiet so people would have to lean in. And as he was brought forward, his sermons consisted of basically one message, love one another, And every time he was brought forward, every time he preached, he preached the same message, love one another. I'm sure to the point where the congregation was saying, can we get somebody else this Sunday? Can we get somebody else to come and preach? John just always has the same message, love one another. When asked why this was his only message, this is what Jerome said writes, John simply said, because it is the Lord's command, and if this only is done, it is enough. It is enough if you love one another. And how humbling it is that you would love us. That you would love us. And Jesus, you gave your life for us, And then you said, love one another the way that I have loved you. So Jesus, as we, the church, go out of these doors, whether we are watching online or or here in person, help us to love one another. Help us to love well. Help us to be filled to overflowing with your Holy Spirit that we would have the capability of love. The very first fruit of the Spirit is love. Help us to love like you love Jesus. Church, I just, I just speak over you right now, the love of Jesus Christ, that you would know that you are loved, that you'll be filled to overflowing with the love of Christ, and that you would love well. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you. We know it is all about you. And so we trust you. We love you. And we receive your love we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.